really hard for me to still be this far away from people. I know we've been socially distancing for a year and all of that, but the youth pastor in me wants to move my stand like right there and, and, like, and just like walk around and make people feel awkward. But, uh, but it's good to see everyone this morning. This morning's passage will be continuing in the, the book of Mark. As a church, we've been going through it uh, over the past year. And this morning's passage comes from uh, Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. And Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. Then the second took her and and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not God of the dead, but of the living." You are quite wrong. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word that you speak to us through your word today. That you are not just some vague philosophical construct, that you are not just Uh, a, a form of moral behavior modification, but God, you are the living God. That you are living and active and moving today. And God, we pray that in this time that you would move in this place, that you would pour out your spirit in this place, that you would speak through the power of your word, that you would speak through me, that you would use me as your servant to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be with us now in this time. We pray in his holy name. Amen. Now, I want to ask briefly, have you ever found yourself using something without truly knowing what it did? Maybe some sort of tool or an app or some sort of of piece of technology that you've been using for a long time, sometimes even embarrassingly long, without actually understanding the depth of what said device could do. Back in 2015, I was making a conscious effort uh, to, to, to try to live healthier. I was, I was eating healthier and, and I was exercising and I, would, I was doing all of these things 
to, to try to make a difference in my life and my health and my weight. And so for Christmas, my in-laws got me a Fitbit that I wanted. And it was awesome, and obviously it's broken now. Um, but it was great because it didn't just track your steps, but it also uh, kept uh, track of your, your heart rate, and it would monitor uh, your rate of sleep, like how, how long you would stay asleep or how many times you woke up during the night. And it was, it was wonderful, but I learned just enough about it to use the basic functions. It was little more than a, a fancy watch until the fall of 2018, two and a half years later, a, co- a co-worker of mine showed me that I could connect it to my phone so I could read text messages right there on my watch. Now, granted, that's nothing life-changing or mind-blowing, but it was a, a little form of convenience that I never learned just because I never took the time to actually read the instructions to find out all the things my watch could do. I was wearing this watch for two and a half years without knowing this basic function for convenience. Now, this is a pale comparison, but this is how the Sadducees understood and approached Scripture. They studied portions of the the Old Testament, or what we know as the Old Testament, and so they had this basic knowledge of the God of Israel, but they lacked the depth and the richness of the knowledge of knowing the covenantal nature of this amazing God. And so they come to Jesus with this question, and yet instead of indulging their question and kind of playing their little game, he corrects them, and he confronts them saying, you are focusing on the wrong things. In fact, I would say for us today, this, is a, this passage is a reminder that Christians are called to live with a covenantal mindset, that you and I are called to live in a way that the covenant that God has instituted should direct our lives. Not just, not just your church life, where you go to church and the way that you worship, the, the songs that you sing at church, things like that, but that understanding the covenant the covenant relationship that you are in with the Lord of creation should affect every area of your life. And as we walk through this passage, there are three areas in particular that I want to examine. First, we'll look at our verses 18 through 23 as a reminder to check your motivation. So as you're trying to, to figure out this covenant mindset, Check your motivation in verses 18 through 23. Secondly, in verses 24 through 27, a reminder to check your foundation. The things that that you're, you're building your theology upon. Check your foundation in verses 24 through 27. And lastly, focusing in on verses 26 and 27, a reminder to check your focus. So this passage is going to remind us to check your motivation, check your foundation, and check your focus. Now, the first thing that we see in this passage is that the Sadducees are trying to set up this trap, almost like a philosophical, theological question that they're trying to corner Jesus. And so they're walking up to him with negative intentions. They're not actually trying to learn anything here. They're not actually trying to engage in discussion. They're trying to trick him. 
and to trap him. And this serves as a reminder for you and I today. Check your motivation. From the very beginning, the text alerts us that something is up here because it says that Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. Now, we often forget this in in our cultural mindset because we're so removed from this time in church history, but there was actually a fierce rivalry between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees were kind of like the the layperson's scholar. They embraced all all of the the Torah, the, the law and the writings and the prophets, and they believed that uh, a, an obedient spiritual life, good behavior, would lead to holy faithfulness. And that, that type of approach appealed to the Jewish people. Now, the Sadducees were different because they were more descendants of the high priest. They, these were, this was an, an aristocratic group, and they were often highly disliked among the Jewish people. They interpreted uh, the, just the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of what we call the Old Testament, and they would often ignore completely the writings and the prophets of our Old Testament. They refused to accept the spiritual aspects of what had happened or what is recorded in Scripture. If we were to put this in today's cultural terms, and this is a loose comparison, but the Pharisees would be like one of those YouTubers with like 7 million followers that have uh, this nice sounding theology of of faithful obedience, but it's actually just a mask for a works-based salvation. Whereas the Sadducees uh, would be priests coming from like lifelong families of career politicians who look down on anyone that is not King James only. It's a, it's a loose comparison, but if, if we could try to understand these groups in, in today's terms, that's the kind of background that they're bringing. And so these Sadducees walk up, these Sadducees who say that there is no resurrection, and they try to trip Jesus up. They try to catch him. Like, Jesus, well, Moses said, and they, they go back to, uh, they go back to the, the, the law of the Old Testament of carrying on a family line, that if, if a husband died before having any offspring, it is the, uh, it is the role of the brother of the deceased husband to marry the wife and to have children as, so as to carry on the family name. And so they're trying to set up this trap. Is Jesus going to ignore what Moses said and thus refute him as a proper teacher? Or is Jesus going to say, well, all of them are her husband. And so trap him in some sort of, uh, say, interpreting scripture as polygamy or possible incest. They're, they're trying to set up this, what they believe is this theological trap to disprove Jesus. They're not asking to learn. There's no humility in the question that they're, they're bringing. In fact, these are the scoffers that we're warned about in Psalm 1. 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. These Sadducees are, are not like Peter and the disciples when, when the, the storm is raging and they see Jesus walking on the sea and they fearfully cry out, Lord, is that you? And Jesus says, come on out, walk out here with me. They were asking out of, out of their fear, but there was a humility behind it. They're not even like Thomas when, when he doubted the resurrection of Jesus and he said, well, I'm not going to be able to believe until I can see the, the holes in his hands and in his side. And then when Jesus shows up, says, come and see, touch and feel. And Thomas humbly admits in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. These aren't believers wrestling with deep struggles and wondering how can a loving God uh, exist when there's, when there's death and sin in the world. They're, they're not wrestling with deep theological questions like this. This is the equivalent of the, the, the childish argument. Like when you're in middle school and someone finds out that you're a believer and so they're trying to trip you up, they're like, well, could God make a rock so big that even he can't pick it up? Like this is the level of the argument that they're bringing to Jesus here. They're not actually trying to engage with him. They're, they're bringing this childish question, just trying to confuse him. They're basically saying, see how ridiculous this resurrection you, you teach about is? And so for you and I today, it's a reminder for when you and I engage with people who believe differently from us. And now I'm not, I, I'm not talking about uh, believing different things. Uh, well, maybe I am. I'm different faiths, different philosophies, different worldviews. Are you approaching that person in that conversation in a way that you're trying to, to trap them up and even shame them? Are you mocking them in their beliefs? Are you engaging that person in that conversation out of the same mercy that was exhibited to you? Because at one time, you also were not a believer. Are you approaching this person with the same compassion and humility and mercy that was shown to you? In fact, I would even say that if you find yourself saying things like, only an idiot would believe fill in the blank, and I've, I admit I've found myself saying that and I've had to repent. If you find yourself saying, well, no real Christian would ever I think we saw a lot of that last year during the election season. No real Christian would ever vote for fill in the blank. If you find yourself saying things like that when you're approaching others in conversation, your heart might be more in line with the scoffer than with the humility of Christ. And so we see that the Sadducees are already approaching Jesus with wrong motivation. And yet his response is a reminder to check your foundation. Look at Jesus' response. He, he doesn't give them 
a parable, like a, a teachable moment. This isn't a gentle rebuke. He says, you guys are playing wrong. This is for, for whatever faults you might have with, with the last Jedi. It gave us one of the greatest quotes that belongs to Luke Skywalker. Amazing. Every word of what you just said is wrong. This is what Jesus is saying to them right now. Every word that you just said is wrong. Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Jesus isn't giving them a gentle, oh, guys, you're, you're so close. You're almost there. He, no, he's, you guys are just plain wrong. You, you don't know your scripture. You don't know the power of God. You are, in, you are engaging in this entire conversation with an incorrect foundation. As I mentioned earlier, the Sadducees were basing their understanding of scripture off of just a, a chunk of what we understand to be the Old Testament, uh, just the... The, the, the Pentateuch, the, the, five, the five books of the law. And they were leaving out so much more that unpacked what is recorded, that addressed the, the spiritual doctrines that are laid down. And in, in losing those passages, those, those scriptures, and leaving out the writings and the prophets, they lose passages like Isaiah 26, 19, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. They lose passages like Daniel 12:2, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. The resurrection is not just a New Testament concept, but it was taught back in the Old Testament. And yet, by leaving out most of what we consider the Old Testament, the Sadducees did not understand what the scriptures were teaching about who God is and what will happen to his people. It's as if the Sadducees were trying to build a house, but they only laid down a foundation underneath the front door. And not only do they have a limited foundation, they don't even understand what little bit they do have. Jesus references Exodus chapter 3. At that time, they didn't have chapters and verse numbers for their scriptures, and so he refers to it as the passage about the bush. But today we know, or we refer to this as Exodus 3. And he's talking about how God is addressing Moses. And he says, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. Not, I was. Not, these, these dead guys used to worship me, but now I'm moving on to more people. No, he's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. I am their God. 
And so I have to ask, what's your foundation? Do you believe what Paul wrote to Timothy, that all of Scripture is God-breathed and good for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness? All of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, even the, the awkward passages like Song of Solomon and some of those Proverbs and things like that that we like to gloss over today, but are still the God-breathed Word of God. Do you primarily deal with the, the warm fuzzies in the, the New Testament? For God so loved the world, which is true, but you don't understand the importance of the love that he had for the world if you don't understand the depravity that the world had become. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Well, that's one of the most abused scriptures. And it sounds great. And some people have it embroidered on a pillow or on like a little wall plaque or something. And it's the reminder when I'm having a, a rough day and I need that extra cup of coffee at 2 p.m., I can do all things through Jesus. That's not what that means. But we like to stick to the, the, the passages and the scriptures that make us feel good. But when you read the Old Testament, does it enrich and unpack what you know in the New Testament? Do you read the law of the Old Testament and are you confronted with where you yourself have broken the law and turned away from the holiness and righteousness of God? Do you read the writings of the Old Testament and are you captivated by the beauty and the creativity of this God who patiently waited and worked and redeemed his people time and time again. Do you read the prophets of the Old Testament in light of a God who will bring justice to a rebellious people? The Old Testament is the foundation of how we understand the New Testament. You can't understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. And so when you check your foundation, it impacts your understanding of the entire whole word of God. And that helps with the third and final point, to check your focus. Now, some of you might have noticed that I kind of quickly glossed over what Jesus says about there not being, in marriage, uh, not being marriage in heaven. And honestly, that's because part of me struggles with that passage. It, it feels a little awkward to me. Because I love my wife. And part of me wants that relationship to continue as we are in heaven. And the awkward part of it is the fact that Jesus doesn't elaborate this. He says that uh, we're in verse 25, when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Not that you get little wings and halos and sit around and play harps on clouds, but the angels were not created to be in marriage relationships, apparently. And so in the resurrection, in your glorified bodies, people will be like the angels in the, in the aspect that there will not be 
what we understand as the marriage relationship. And he never returns to unpack that. He's never like, remember what I said the other day? Let me, let me, let me unpack that a little bit. He never does that. But when you look at the entire scenario of what's going on right here with the Sadducees asking this hypothetical marriage question that they don't even want an answer to, they just want to set up a trap. In his rebuke, Jesus is saying, you're focusing on the wrong thing. You're focusing on the things of this world that will fade and pass away instead of focusing on the greater things that are yet to come. The life that you and I have on this world, this is not as good as it gets. If it is, we are to be pitied for eternity. Even marriage as we understand it, it's not the greatest relationship in the world. The author of Hebrews describes the things of this world, and I'll I'll return to that, I'll return to that. But the author of Hebrews describes the things of this world as shadows of things yet to come. And so our understanding of marriage on this world is a shadow of something greater that we don't even understand yet. Paul writes in Ephesians, specifically to husbands and wives in in Ephesians 5, and he uses marriage to help believers understand the relationship to Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. Notice the order. He does not say that Jesus loves the church the way that husbands love their wives. He doesn't say that the church submits to Jesus the way that wives submit to their husbands. He uses what we understand in this world to unpack the greater picture of our relationship to Jesus. And so when Jesus returns, uh, or when Jesus focuses in, in verses 26 and 27 on the God of the covenant, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living That's a reminder that our focus as believers is not to be on the things of this world, but on the covenantal God. This God who spoke reality itself into existence. This God that even when Adam and Eve, the very first people disobeyed, he still provided for them. The same God who instituted his covenant with his people in spite of a rebellious people that would turn away from that covenant time again and again and again. The covenantal God who every time would save his people and draw them back to himself. And not just Israel, but you and me. You and I, we are the rebellious Israel. Far too often, we are the scoffing Sadducees. And yet, as Scripture says, that while we were even enemies of God, he sent his son, who lived a sinless life of perfect obedience. 
And the wrath that you and I deserve for our disobedience was poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross. Your sin was nailed with him to that cross. And in his resurrection, you are declared a holy and righteous child of the living God. But what's even better is that's not the end of the story. Because one day, Jesus will come again to reclaim what is rightfully his. And when he does, the man-made covenants of this world, what you and I understand as the marriage covenant relationship, those things will fade away. And the covenant instituted through, uh, through Abraham will be fulfilled through Jesus. In their book on marriage, Tim and Kathy Keller phrase it this way. At the end of time, there will be another wedding, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And its purpose is also to fill the world with children of God. It will succeed where the first marriage failed. Because while the first husband in history failed, the second husband does not. The true Adam, Jesus Christ, will never fail his spouse, the second Eve, his church. Marriage as you and I understand it on this earth will fade and pass away. But as believers, you and I are united to Christ in eternity. And somehow, I don't claim to understand it yet, but somehow the relationships that we have here on this earth now will be far richer and deeper and more beautiful in eternity than we could ever comprehend. But that only comes by shifting your focus from the things of this world to the next. Are the things of this world good? Of course. Marriage is good. Relationships are good. But it's a shadow of a greater glory yet to come. And so as you head out this week, what mindset are you going to live in? Will you be a modern Sadducee? scoffing at those who are different from you? Or will you extend the same mercy to others that Christ has shown to you? Is your foundation on just the scriptures that fit your particular worldview, that that give you the warm fuzzies and that sound nice uh, like in an Instagram post or on a wall plaque? Or will will your foundation be formed on the entire God-breathed word, fit for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness. And lastly, will your focus be on to cling to the things of this world that will one day fade and pass away, the fleeting pleasures of this world that will not last? Or will your focus be on the covenantal God who calls you his beloved and will one day come back for you. What mindset will you live in? Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we confess that far too often we are the scoffers. We are the the mockers. And that we have 
sadly far too often forgotten the mercy and compassion that you have shown to us. Lord, we confess these things and we ask that you would remind us of the grace that you have shown us in Jesus Christ. Lord, remind us that our understanding of who he is is based on the entirety of your word. That you have given us what we call our Old and New Testaments as a way to reveal who you are and show us the beauty of who Jesus Christ is. And so, Lord, help us to shift our focus and remember that the things of this world will one day pass away, but the glory of the risen Lord Jesus Christ endures forever. And by his death and by his resurrection, we are made yours. That we will one day be resurrected and united with Christ in glory for eternity. Let our hope not be in, the, in the, the passing things of this current world. Let us be good stewards of what we have. Let us enjoy the things that we have. But let us keep our focus on the greater things yet to come. And as we long for him, as we wait for him to return in all of his glory, we trust and pray in his holy name alone. Amen.